You know what time it is. It's time for another episode of the Jungle Gyms Podcast. I'm your host, Mark. Welcome to the show. As always, thanks all of you out there getting those audio downloads up. There's so many of you out there, and I'm trying to convert you all to also be YouTube people for me. But that's okay. YouTube's doing pretty good recently for us, too. We had a nice milestone recently. So for all of you who have subscribed to Jungle Gyms on YouTube, thanks. I appreciate it. You're making me more viable all the time. You know, we're this is the, the 102nd episode. I've been doing episodes. They've all been for you the whole time. And then I got a great opportunity to interview somebody that I have been personally interested in for 20 years. Uh, and so, yeah, we don't do a ton of food on this one. But, you know, how am I going to do this? This, this is a gift for me. So this week on the show, I'm bringing in Andy Merrill. Andy came in a while back, actually. We've been in contact for like a year about doing this in the first place. Came in months ago for me. Uh, Andy, you may know, um, he is like one of the founding creatives at Adult Swim for a Cartoon Network. Um, a big driving force behind things like Space Ghost, Coast to Coast. Uh, you probably best recognize him as the voice of Brack, uh, who is a very popular character for a lot of us that grew up in that time. Listen, it was an honor to do this, and I've since got to hang out with him a couple times. So thanks, Andy. I appreciate you. Thanks for doing this. <laughs> We talk about so much stuff. I mean, everything we cover, Andy's life, you know, the experiences at Adult Swim. Uh, we talked for hours and I tried to get this down. And thanks to my friend Zach for the help on this one. We tried to get this down in somewhat manageable length, uh, you know, because we were talking about, we got off topic forever talking about our mutual appreciation of holiday uh, animated specials, predominantly the Rankin Bass variety, you name it. There's so many fun things. Uh, but before I dive into the Andy interview, of course, I just want to remind you of some upcoming events here. Um, Again, I keep mentioning this, but the International Wine Festival tickets are on sale now, so you can come drink a bunch of wine with me, and Lucky will be there, and I'm sure we'll be bringing plus ones. You know the drill. That's always a fun time. Uh, it was a great festival last year, uh, honestly, and if you're thinking about it, VIP is definitely worth it, too. Chef James and Chef Logan are killing it over there in the Oscar event kitchen. I think that's what they're calling that space that they're cooking in. Uh, whatever, but they cook for the Oscar event center as well as the Oscar station, so if you've ever eaten any of the food that we make in-house here, and you're like, oh, my gosh, it's so good. Well, it's because of Chef James and Chef Logan. So thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, but that you get some extra action that way with the VIP tickets. And with the regular tickets, you still get to taste all kinds of wine, although there's some that get reserved for VIPs only, which, you know, if you're a wine person, and I'm trying to be a wine person, I'm slowly trying to become a wine person, a bourbon person, maybe a cigar person, all of those things. I just want to learn everything and touch it all as much as I can. Uh, and I like to do that with all the experts teaching me. So anyway, that's coming up here in November. That's our next big festival. Actually, you know, there's one, I can't tell you anything about it lately, but, or not lately, I can't tell you about it yet, but I got to pitch a fest recently and I think it was fairly warmly received. Pretty excited about that. Yeah, so we're going to see. I mean, obviously it's like very much, if you've ever been in these situations, don't get too excited yet. It's kind of where I'm going with this, but like, you know, you go and you're like, Hey, I have this idea. What do you think? And when people are like, actually, that sounds kind of cool. Let's do the next step. So that's about where I am. Uh, it's really fun. I have a very cool job here and I have a lot of really fun coworkers. And more importantly, you know, I was thinking about this. I was reading something on the internet the other day and people were talking about, uh, I, you know, it was one, I know what it was. One of my friends was complaining online. I'm assuming they might be in a weird place with their work right now. And I'm sorry, because that happens to a lot of people, especially those people who are in creative positions, uh, where sometimes you'll find that you'll get hired for a position 
and then uh, how did I put it? I was like, you get scapegoated, right? Because it's like just easy to be like, we're going to keep doing what we've always done without any change or thought for the future, but we want somebody to blame it on. And the reason I'm bringing this up is that I was like, wow, I've been really fortunate in like the last 10 years with this job, my last one and all my acting gigs. I have not run to that experience in quite some time. So first off, thanks, former and current employers. I really, really appreciate you. And I, I bring this stuff up on the show because I know a lot of people listen from all walks of life. And uh, listen, if you're an employer, man, trust these experts you bring on or don't bring the experts on. Like, I think it's a win-win. So I wasn't trying to get on my soapbox too much, but like, you know, I, I had a, I was on a podcast episode recently. Someone was like, what do you attribute the success here to? And I, one of the things I always think about like every day, especially every day I'm at work, is just that I work for somebody like Jungle who sees the vision and hiring experts and is like, go be the expert I hired you to be. And then it's only a problem if you turn out not to be the expert. And I feel like more business owners could learn this. More people in positions of power could learn this. I'm telling you, I don't think that we would have the success we had here if they wanted me to do a boring buttoned up show, right? I just don't think that's how it would have gone. I see the response on social media and stuff. Anyway, I, I, I'm mostly just trying to be thankful in a very long winded roundabout way. Uh, I'm sorry to my unnamed friend who is at least writing posts that way. Uh, but thank you also for writing that post because it made me feel like, hell yeah, I really am in a good position right now. So uh, because I was in these kinds of good positions, that's how I was like, listen, I know this is predominantly a food show, but Andy, eh, we like the tie back. Andy lives somewhere nearby. I won't give all the specifics, but he shops the store regularly. And that was the connect. I was like, oh, you really do come here? And then he's like, yeah, I'm like, not very far at all. So, of course, that's why I do it. So, anyway, I hope you enjoy this. Uh, again, this is, you know, it's it was a really cool opportunity. So, Andy, truly appreciate it. And everybody out there, if you're a fan of his, uh, do me a favor and start just writing in passion, please, to companies like Adult Swim, Cartoon Network. Let's bring Space Ghost back. It's like the perfect time for that. All these shows are getting rebooted. You know, Aqua Teen's coming back this year. All this kind of stuff. And, again, huge fan. Uh, you, he was on Aqua Teen as well. Bring these shows back. Cater to the nostalgia. I, it's hard for me to get DVDs from a show I like. Just make new episodes. That's where I'm at with it. And on that, I gotta introduce you all to Andy Merrill. Uh, I'm Andy Merrill. I uh, do cartoon voice work. I was Brack. I've been in various different shows like Adventure Time and Gravity Falls and the. Well, it's out now. Uh, Kiff is the name of the show. Andy, welcome to the show, though, for real. Yeah. This is so cool. I I mean, this is, I'll say this directly to the audience. This is the perk of just annoying people whose careers you've enjoyed on social media. You had me at Jungle Gyms. <laughs> it's like, okay. My, I'm, I, you know, go up through Cincinnati and my friend Wally at home is like, you got to go to Jungle Gyms. And I'm like, okay. And then I came here and it was like, okay, this is one of those cool places that sells a lot of crap. So, right. um, <laughs> so yeah, I, you know, it's an accurate take on the store, honestly. Sells a lot of crap. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> we're, just, we're chock full. <laughs> Don't, yeah, it's not Jungle Gems International Market. It's <laughs> jum, Jungle Gems World of Crap. I mean, look, it's, you've got an office board game. Yeah, I'm here. The one I actually want to play is the Pan Am airline one. I don't know what that's all about. Well, but. you know, is it is it 
Is it Pan Am or is it TWA that has a hotel in New York now? I think it's TWA, if I'm not mistaken. My ex-wife went, stayed there when uh, she was in. She used to have to do like business in New York back and forth all the time. Yeah, she you know is at Paramount. Not like not like you know, but um, yeah, they had just opened. I get it. it. Start by flexing, and uh, and that was like the last um, uh, the last night of her trip. You know, she stayed at the, the Pan Am or TWA hotel and said it was just amazing, just the, the way it was set up and all that. And I don't know why we're talking about this. That's <laughs> the beauty of a it, podcast. Just the pictures and stuff that she sent and, and had just made it look so cool. All the uh, staff were dressed as, like, flight attendants and pilots. And, and oh, that sounds fun. Like that. And so, yeah, yeah. Damn, now we got to go. Yeah, we do. All right. Well, let's let me kill the recorder. <laughs> let's get on the plane. <laughs> We're taking this show on the road. Are you a foodie at all, or are you just yeah. like fun oh, stuff? Yeah. Cool. What yeah, are you yeah. in, What are you into? What do you like? <laughs> do you like eating? I don't know. This is like the a I'm, weird uh, first date. I, I, I'm into anything. <laughs> you know, I've been to you know all these different places. Uh, I think the weirdest thing um, I want to say was you know we were in Iceland. We had the I had I tried the fermented shark. Oh, how was that? Uh, it tasted like ammonia, <laughs> basically. Uh, and you know they they don't give you a lot because they know you're gonna hate it. So right, you know they it's just nostalgia anymore. It's not really a traditional Icelandic food. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they bring it out and uh, I had one piece and it's just like uh, just offensive to the senses and then it's but it's one of those things it's like i can't let me have let me try that again you just like it you know it ends up like not too long later you've eaten the whole thing right but they only bring you like five little pieces so it's not such a big not like you're a glutton for <laughs> for, for fermented shark, but well, how uh, conveniently I did bring out a, bo- no, <laughs> a bottle of ammonia uh, to drink out of our adult swim so cups. It, yeah, that's what it tastes like. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a terrible trip. Imagine just trying to compare. All right, all right, here's fermented shark. Here's ammonia. Which one? But it tastes was the same like place uh, in Reykjavik that had this amazing lamb soup. Oh, mm, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, I only did the shark once. But probably not again. But you did the soup again, But we right? kept going back for the lamb soup. Oh, yeah, it sounds it good. so amazing. Lamb underrated protein. <laughs> Icelandic lamb soup is... That sounds good. All right, anyone from Iceland out there, come really, out. Really, really, good. Me and Andy need some soup. When you are doing these voices, do you, like, do you dive? Like, do, is this something switch in your brain when you go full Brack or if you're going Oglethorpe or, you know... Most or, voices I do now, I have to... Uh, I'll, I'll like do a couple takes and if I just go like way overboard in the read I'll be like that's Brack and I'll have to like go back and think about it and do it again but Oglethorpe I've I've separated Oglethorpe and Brack so much that sure it's easy you know I can go back and forth between them and not have either go into it but uh, Oglethorpe is different because he's like a full-on villain. And right. uh, I always have to be kind of – I'm always told when I start doing Oglethorpe to like kind of like lay back a little because I tend to just come out screaming, you know. Of course. 
Um, he's kind of a screamy character, though. Well, yeah, but <laughs> but most of the time it's like, I'm going to get you. And then, and then like everybody's like, yeah, stop. You're going to kill your voice. And you got to work up to that. I am working up to it. It's <laughs> <Just> like yelling. <laughs> but you think I can get louder than this? And then it turns out I can't get louder than that. So. <laughs> like rein it in. All right, maybe not. Let it loose. Do you, have a, do you have a favorite show you've ever worked on? Is that something I can even ask? I was always a big fan of uh, Adventure Time. Yeah. You know, when, it, when it came out, it just kind of blew me away. And I met Penn uh, Ward at uh, uh, a uh, Cartoon Network Christmas party. Oh, and, cool. Um, yeah, we got wasted. <laughs> but before that, you know, I was just talking about how much I love the show and all this stuff. And, and, you know, for the the first, I don't know, like half hour, he's just going, uh-huh, yeah, like I was just some raving fan, which I was. And um, and then somebody, somebody mentioned something about, somebody asked me something about Brack or something I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> and I, you know, ans- answered him, and, and, and then I saw Penn's eyes just go, just make a total shift and it was like wait 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 <laughs> so and so you know we found that we were like you know mutual fans so um but it yeah it took like a half an hour to me to actually say oh oh yeah i i do this show i did that um so then then maybe maybe like a I don't know, maybe like a year later, maybe less than that, he had written, um, or Kent Osborne had written uh, James. I think Penn wrote it. Uh, the episode is called James, and then there's James 2. And right. then I can't remember the name of the third episode, but uh, it's it's like deep in the lore of like the eighth season, which right. is like James's last appearance. Um but yeah, it's not James the James Baxter the horse. It's James the wafer cookie. I was gonna say, yeah, I think he is. <laughs> uh, we got a picture off screen. We'll put yeah, it up on I, screen. I for originally too. thought he was like an ice cream sandwich, but he's more like a wafer cookie. That makes sense. It's like a little Vienna finger. It's funny because yeah. I didn't know that. I thought he was an ice cream sandwich. He's uh, like a naked Kit Kat. Oh, okay. A, a, yeah, like a nutty bar. Oh, I'm into it. Without the chocolate. Yeah. I'm here for a naked Kit Kat. <laughs> that, it's such a beautiful show, and there were so I mean, it was. Uh, you mentioned the lore, and it's one of those. If you all haven't watched Adventure Time out there, you have to. I, I always have a fun story about that. I'd come back in from a vacation, and I went to a friend's house, and she goes, do you want to see my four-year-old niece's favorite show? And I was like, no. <laughs> and then we watched, it was the episode with, it was from the first season. It was with the first uh, appearance of Neptur, the never-ending pie-throwing robot that Andy Melanakis, I think, played. Yeah. Uh, and I was just like, there were so many jokes that I was like, all right, this is definitely. Yeah, it's it, insane. Yeah. I remember just watching, I'm like, did you write this show for me? But also this four-year-old is the one that's telling me about it, you know? But, you know, I like that, you know, there was some, even though it's all scripted and stuff, there was some, you know, kind of uh, individual creativity that they, you know, that I get to get away with. Um, like, they didn't say, we need this certain voice. Um, so I, I would give him, I gave him maybe... 
four or five different versions um, of the voice to do. And the majority, the the one he was like emphatic on was the one where he was just like, <laughs> I, I basically craned my neck up and laughed the whole time. I'm like, <laughs> do you like this? And, <laughs> and that was like, he just liked that. And James makes robot noises all the time whenever he moves. <laughs> so I didn't get to record with the cast, which I think they often did. I had to record by myself because all of the noises that I um, yeah. had to make uh, would have distracted <laughs> from everybody. Um, and they couldn't have just done it after the record. That's one of the fun things about recording a character is yeah. that after the... Um, I think they call it Walla. Um, after you're done reading all the lines, they want to get every single type of noise that they can get from you, especially sure. if it's a new character. So any like belches or burps or sighs or or running or getting punched in the face or anything like that, they get at the very end. <laughs> so at the very end, it's just weird because you've read the script and at the very end, you're just going, Puh! Stuff like that. I, you know, I was going to ask you about this too because, like, we were talking before well, we were just strolling the store before about, you know, doing a lot of the commercial work and how it's like there's obviously a lot of physicality when you're like an on screen actor versus like how much physicality is there for you when you're doing voice acting? Like, I never, they always ask if I want to, you know, stand or sit, and it's usually I, I stand because I, do a lot of, um, I do a lot of body movement. Mm -hmm. um, elsewhere, if I'm sitting, I don't. I'm a lot more, you know, kind of relaxed and stuff. And I used to laugh at Don Kennedy, who was Tanzit in uh, Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Mm -hmm. uh, Don Kennedy was an old uh, children's uh, TV show host in the '60s and '70s yeah. in, in Atlanta. Watching him. <laughs> Watching him in the studio, you just see this cute little old man just like tense up and go, I don't <laughs> and just like just like scrunch his body up and stuff. It's funny. Um I later did like a live action thing in the early two thousands uh for Cartoon Network. It was called Cartoon Fridays. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh that we had Tara, who is the voice of uh Bulbasaur amongst um, a lot of anime voices and Tommy Snyder does a lot of acting. Uh, oh, cool. He was in uh, uh, Baskets and uh, oh yeah, other great shows. show. They hosted the show, and I did a puppet, uh, um, uh, Long Haul the Puppet Trucker. I wrote Don Kennedy in this Cartoon Friday because <laughs> I had this <laughs> stupid idea to have a. It was just we were just doing dumb segments. So Long Haul had his own segment where I had this puppet, and we had like a. Uh, props department made this amazing semi truck that I had to squeeze my body up. Into oh my gosh. Head down highway 40. It. And, uh, yeah, it was very highway 40, but it was like, <laughs> it was more like, uh, the idea kind of came from hee haw. It was like grandpa Jones and they would come out and say, Hey grandpa, what's for supper? But we would have the kids come out and say, Hey long haul, what you hauling? And <laughs> it's just always like, I'm hauling pineapples. And then I would go into like some story about, fun fact story about pineapples and stuff. But I had written uh, 
uh, Don Kennedy into the show as Milkman Fred. (laughs) 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 And it was just to get Don Kennedy in front of the camera again, uh, (laughs) dressed as a milkman, just making different recipes that heavily (laughs) included dairy just to make a mess on the stage. (laughs) And it was the funniest thing. And being like kind of as old as he was, he's kind of, bitter about the French in World War II, I remember. Because <laughs> you would write him a simple phrase like he would you, he would finish making pudding, and I would write, and voila, pudding. Yeah. And it was like a simple thing like that, and he would be like, I am not going to say that word. <laughs> what, <laughs> pudding? No, that French word. I'm not going to speak French. He <laughs> just was bitter about the French for some reason. That's amazing. Hey, you never know. It's like a, a bygone era. I voila. Guess. <laughs> I will not say voila. Yeah, he's like, no revealing in this. So, <laughs> no creme brulee for you, I guess. No <laughs> making of that. Was it that the French surrendered or something like that? I think that's it. If I recall from being Some a child when people World would say, yeah. Thing. yeah, they're like, oh, white flags. Oh, no, the, the French. The, yeah. White flags on the Champs-Élysées. <laughs> You're like, who cares? Okay. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, would you not do the same thing? Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> So one of the things I'm most intrigued about by your career is that what was cool to me about like the early Adult Swim and Cartoon Network era, especially, uh, so I'll be older than I want to admit to my audience this year, but like for me it was cool because I think I was at that prime age to watch kind of this changing of the guard from like the classic Hanna-Barbera era, which was really having a good resurgence when I was a kid in like the late 80s, early 90s, and then seeing what you all did and came in. Like, yeah, how much creative control did you get in those regards, you know, as far as like coming up with bits and uh, these shows? As far as like Adult Swim and stuff, mm-hmm. it was really, and Space Ghost, it was really difficult because we were working with Lazo, uh, and he was just... he was not easy to work for sure and would get bored easily so if you if you wrote like really a a really funny line uh about you know a normal person if you read that funny line maybe the seventh time you're not gonna laugh at it because you know that the line is there right um but you know that it's still funny. Right. He's the type of person who would read it seven times and be like, that's not funny anymore. I'm not going to have that unfunny joke in the show. (laughs) And so uh, uh, the amount of really good joke materials and stuff that we had to, like, throw out was... uh, But, you know, and then, you know, moving over to On Air and working on Fridays for different people (laughs) for a different person you know for pete johnson other than mike lazo yeah who actually understood comedy um i don't know if it was that we didn't have the luxury to like you know write and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite but with pete if a joke didn't work you know it would be easy to change and we knew the joke didn't work and it would be funnier and anything you know can be funnier you know i i I get that. I understand it. Right. After a while, you have to think to yourself, I'm getting paid anyway. I don't care. I'm just going to make this funnier. (laughs) But um, with Fridays, it was different because, you know, you work with a different mindset and stuff. Plus, we had to have a new show every single Friday night for the entire year. So Mm -hmm. um, I didn't even think about how much stressful that must have been. It wasn't that stressful because you're not writing a show. You're... 
you're going in on a weekend and shooting four shows, you know, okay. for the weekend. Yeah. Uh, and um, usually you're shooting, you know, ahead of time. So you're shooting Halloween stuff in August. You're shooting Christmas in October. Sure. And stuff. So, you know, and and we weren't, like, writing a whole lot. We were writing maybe 15 to 20 minutes per uh, shoot. Uh, because it wrapped around like 30-minute cartoons. I had a couple interviews with WWE oh, okay. uh, a couple years ago. And there, uh, it, it was for WWE Raw to write for them. Oh, weird. Interesting. And their schedule is insane. Really? It's as if you, I likened it to Saturday Night Live. Only if you worked on Saturday Night Live, and there was a show every single 52, you know, Saturdays a year. Yeah. And that's exactly what that is. WWE Raw wow. is a brand new show live every Monday night. And so the schedule for that, the pay was amazing. I'm sure. If I would have gotten that job. But the schedule would have been like, you don't have time for anything. Right. You're working on a new script every, like, Wednesday or Thursday. You finesse the script on a Friday and Saturday. Sunday, you go travel to the next venue. Monday, you shoot an entire two-hour live show. <clears throat> and then Tuesday, you go home and you do it all over again. Oh, my gosh. And so it's like – and you're in a different city, like, every single week. So I, and would I they have had you traveling been, around? Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. That's actually kind of interesting. That would have been great. It would have been great for, like, airline miles. I could have, you know, <laughs> on my free time, if I had any, flew anywhere for free. Yeah, exactly. Imagine the hotels. That was, you know, one thing that was great about <clears throat> when I was married to uh, my wife, and she was a big Cartoon Network ex executive, is mm -hmm. that she would have to, like, go to California all the time out of Atlanta, and so we always had really good mileage points and hotel points to to be able to go, you know, wherever we wanted to. So, you know, we went to Germany like three times. We went to, uh, you know, France and Amsterdam and, wow, I've been everywhere. I love it. Prague. Yeah. I love Prague. Yeah. I was going to ask you if you had a favorite visit or spot. Um, no, I, th I've, I, I think Edinburgh was one of my favorites. Interesting. Okay. Um, uh, and at some point we were able to take, uh, um, my daughter there. Um, uh, I don't know. Germany, I love Germany. I love going to Germany. I, you know, I'm kind of mostly German. Uh, so <clears throat> just, uh, being there and, uh, we would go around Thanksgiving for the Christmas markets because there was a time in our relationship and, <laughs> Family life where, for some reason, we would get deathly ill every Thanksgiving. <laughs> and I don't know if it was the bird or just the circumstance or something, but we were like, we are not spending Thanksgiving in America ever again. <laughs> so we would go to Germany and go to the Christmas markets, which was pretty amazing. I bet. I You know, and it's funny because we have a lot of German heritage here in Cincinnati and mm -hmm. everybody's always excited about it. And I, I'm always curious to see, because I have family over in Germany as well, and I'm always thinking like, 
or what we do or, or what we're doing here is that even comparable to what I see over there. So no, yeah, I figured. No, as much. I haven't found anything that's comparable there. Although I wish I would have had time to do it. Maybe I'll go next year on my own. But um, last Christmas time, the beginning of the December was the big uh, Galaxy Con in in uh, in Columbus, and um, that's right. I got in there with uh, Dana Snyder, and one of the last nights I was like, "We got to go to Schmidt's," and uh, Schmidt's <laughs> is the big German restaurant. Yeah, in, in sausage house, Columbus. baby. And my dad grew up in in German Village, so oh, cool. Know, we knew of Schmidt's all the time. And, um, so we were like bound in turn. We're going to Schmidt's tonight, and so uh, I ventured out <laughs> to go to Schmidt's, and it was just wall to wall people, and I could tell they were a little kiosks set up and yeah. stuff, I thought, oh, we're not getting into Schmitz. Right. <laughs> we ended up at Dirty Dogs, which was pretty dirty. Or Dirty Franks. Dirty Franks. Yes. We ended up at Dirty Franks, which was amazing. Oh, Dirty Franks is great. But, uh, yeah, Schmitz is on our, on, on our list next year. Hey, let's make that um, happen. You know, an, uh, fun fact, we actually carry their sausages here in store. So I like the, you know. The Bahama Mama, the Bahama Mama classic. Bahama Mama. Yeah. But yeah, uh, I remember going to Schmidt's a lot when I was a kid and going over to Schmidt's Sausage House. That was the first time I ever encountered gummy bears. Really? Yeah. I, I don't, they weren't sold. I mean, this was the. I don't or, think we're that this, different this in age, like are we? The 70s. I'm okay. 56. Okay. So, so this is gap, like but... the, the 70s. Uh, before, like, they prepackaged, like, gummy that makes bears sense. And, and shit. So, wow, that's crazy. I didn't even, I mean, oh, yeah, one of those things so, you just don't think uh, about. Yeah. yeah, um, you know, my the fudge and the gummy bears. And the, <laughs> at first, when I, I think I had a gummy bear, I thought it would be like because my grandma, my dad's mom, always had those like. Uh, orange slices, yeah. I always thought they would be kind of like those gumdroppy type of texture but it yeah. was like, like this is like a rubber band <laughs> <laughs> a delicious rubber band D did your daughter get the uh the creative bug she uh, she did i don't i st i still don't know if she knows what she wants to do uh for makes the longest time was like i want to be a fashion designer and then um i wish i would have had her do more I wish I would have been in the place to have her do more voice work because I had her be um, in 2012 for the 20th anniversary of the network. We brought back Cartoon Planet for yeah. a little bit. And um, uh, we did new stuff. Space Ghost wasn't in it. It was just like Zorak and Brack stuck in a <laughs> one-bedroom apartment <laughs> is basically <laughs> what the sets look like. Uh, so we put them on new sets. So Brack's basically standing, basically sitting at the at the bar, at the kitchen, uh, in the apartment, and then off to the side is Zorak sitting in a beanbag chair. So we had to do new drawings of Zorak with his oh, legs yeah. crossed, sitting in a beanbag chair, <laughs> and he's just playing, you know, an Xbox or a PlayStation the whole time, and while Brack is sitting at this counter with like a cup of hot dogs, <laughs> just stupid stuff around. There's a nameplate. 
that says Steve Delmonico. And that's a joke for the Brack show for when we had George Takei on and his, uh, his agent got really insanely mad at us <clears throat> for having... Because he, he acted like we tricked George Takei to be on the show <laughs> because the show wasn't union. So his agent just went completely crazy over us and said, you're not going to use his name in the credits. And so his name in the credits is Steve Delmonico. So oh. if you ever see any of that, it's on YouTube, some of the old, some of the newer Cartoon Planet stuff. But I brought my daughter in to record because I did a few segments of Brack. First of all, Brack is just kind of giggling to himself and Zorak's like, what are you doing? He's like, well, I made clones of it. And so I bring in this <laughs> tiny one-third size Brack and, uh, and then later bring in this tiny little Zorak. And at some point at the very end, I have a joke of like space, little space ghost popping in his head up out of the cup or something like that. So I had my daughter, she was six years old at the time, come in and be Brack and Zorak and Space Ghost. Oh, that's adorable. Um, I had a theme song. It was like, hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. And so I had her sing that. And then I started playing basically that tune again and had her sing <laughs> whatever she liked. So that one is definitely on YouTube of her going, I like deep pickles. I like deep pickles. <laughs> and so I mean I'm sitting there in the booth with her the whole time and she's doing like dead on impressions of Brack and Zorak which was oh that's so cool and I, I wish I would have had her do more VO work after that hey there's still time yeah there is you know she's like heavily into cheerleading and stuff like that oh cool her. yeah I was you know I, I always am curious too because I had like the op I'm like from there's definitely some creative relatives in the blood in the house, right. but like not in my immediate family. Like my dad, it's like, it's funny if you met him, like we have very similar personalities, but he's like very much old school businessman. So I'm always like, how the hell did I show up? You know, my dad was always a really funny person. Um, and my dad was a dentist and my mom was a, was the hygienist. And so they had a practice together. Oh, that's cool. And, uh, but my dad was always, Art, artistic and and it was really really funny and stuff so I get a lot of that from him and when I started basically my whole entertainment career started uh doing a puppet ministry with my family growing up yeah and so usually my brother and I were you know the funny puppets and my mom would be out front being the straight guy and Every once in a while, my dad would, like, put on a puppet and bring him out. And just stupid. He was just so, really so funny. And um, so, you know, just I, I, I acquire, I, you know, I attribute all of my humor to, to him. Um, I mean, I had comic influences, but my dad was, he was always very supportive of, you know, everything I did. So, you know, once I started doing the Cartoon Planet stuff and stuff, yeah. I was, you know, never more proud um, of, of me than at that, at that point, you know? Yeah. Well, I imagine for um, them, they like watched you as a kid doing this thing. And then you're like, look, guys, I made this. This is my life now. Right. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, they always, I, I was going to be a pharmacist. Um, 
I had to give up like theater and 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 all of that stuff. And I went to Ohio Northern University to be a pharmacist, and I left to go back to uh, work to to go to my brother's college, Asbury in Kentucky, because my grades were so bad <laughs> at Ohio Northern. But the only the only thing I did really well at it at Ohio Northern was like creative writing, and so um, it took me a while to to realize that's what I really wanted to do because yeah. I thought you know everybody had to have a professional uh, job. Which <laughs> looking back now, it would have been great. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, yeah, I went into psychology uh, after that, but then. They had a really good TV and radio program at Asbury, and so um, that's, you know, what I went for. So I was in – once I got to Asbury, I was in all the plays and musicals and um, did a lot of – I excelled at, at, uh, you know, just majoring in broadcasting and and doing, like, TV classes and acting classes and stuff like that. Once I got to Asbury, I never, ever – in my entire college career ever had to take science or math again. I, the, it is really nice to hear some, I, like literally Andy, I joke all the time. The only reason I got into this line of work is because there was only one math class requirement and it was math for liberal arts students. And oh. I had to count rings on a pineapple. That was like the final exam. It was I incredible. Took calculus. <laughs> I took calculus twice <laughs> because I did so bad the first time around. Uh, I was never good at biology. Uh, I thought pharmacy would be great because I was really good at math and uh, chemistry in, in high school. I thought that's basically all it was, but nope. Whole new world. <laughs> Too much. Uh, <laughs> too many of the uh, professorial staff at Ohio Northern uh, during the midterm and the final exams coming together to make this these blitzkrieg of a test to like really uh, all of the tests were multiple choice and every single every single choice was you make the most minute little mathematical <laughs> screw up and there's the answer right there so you leave the test going I think I did great but you nope did you show your work I would show my work and then I would get, I would, I think my first, uh, I think it was my first chemistry midterm. I had a, why don't you come see me (laughs) note on it. I thought, what? Would you have any advice for somebody that's trying to get into this line of work? That's what maybe they're watching right now. No, but but that's the hard question because, you know, and especially a more interesting answer if I'm sitting here with, you know, Dana yeah. Snyder. Or well, Dana, come on. Anybody, anybody <laughs> like that, because Dana, it, it doesn't matter. There's just so many different ways to fall into this yeah. that it's, there's no true path. Uh, Dana was in theater, and so was Carrie Means. And um, I, don't, I don't know if it was something that Dave Willis had seen or, or something like that, that, that Dana was in that, you know, he discovered him, but you know, I hired Dave Willis kind of basically almost out of college. Oh, no Um, kidding. I didn't know that. And Dave and I kind of have similar, 
ways of going at it, and that's basically create your show, right, <laughs> and uh, be in the writers' room because uh, that's basically what it was was uh, me reading Brack for the Twelve Days of Christmas from the Council of Doom. Yep. in the writers' room, and them saying, you know, I like that, and so that's you know, and and not having the budget to to hire a professional voice was basically, you know, how I got into doing it. Cause you know, I did it for free for forever. And especially right. like when I did, I redid cartoon planet in 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, we could only have Zorak because that's all we could afford. Sure. Uh, if I would have had just a slightly bigger budget, we could have had George come in and be space ghost. But, right. uh, the only VO we paid for when we redid that was was for was for Clay to come in and be Zorak, which, um, and that was my call because I thought it would be more interesting to have Zorak and Brat go at it. Yeah, um, and it was also a good call because it was the last time I got to work with Clay, and, and uh, that was bittersweet. It's it's hard to say how to get into this business uh, other than either those two ways: be discovered. Right. Uh, be there or just be just have a unique voice and be just diligent as hell because I don't you know you have to really believe in what you're doing to do it and I don't and it, it's not like we're making you know billions of dollars you know we're not you know, John DiMaggio or, sure. or uh, Tom Kenny. Right. We all wish we were, but For sure. you know, but we're not. So, you know, there's a, there's a few that <clears throat> have like really broken out and really do really, really well. Yeah. And it's like voices you can name. Those are the people. Right. You touch on something that I think is the real piece of advice though, which is the, you talk about just diligence, right? And like, Diving in because I think the one through line I always find, and I mean, I can speak to it with my own career a little bit, obviously not again, not on the same level by any means, but like same thing where it was just like, just go, I, honestly, you touched on all of them. But it's like, say yes, show up and work really hard on this thing that you believe in that you can do, right. you know, and it's yeah. no guarantee, but it's going to be the thing that separates you from maybe getting there versus definitely not getting there. Do you know? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean, in, Early at Cartoon Network, when I was working on Space Ghost and stuff, uh, they had paired me with um, Dwayne McDuffie. Oh yeah, um, amazing to do. Yeah, to to do uh, an Inferior Five cartoon. What for DC and Warner Brothers? Oh, that would have been so cool. And we had gotten really, really far in the whole development process, and it was you know it was going to be amazing and. We had to tweak things here and there. There was a <clears throat> basically the the show would have been about the outcast, stupid uh, um, offspring of if the Justice League had gotten together and mated <laughs> and aged out of their term in the Justice League. So the Inferior <laughs> Five was going to take over for their parents. We got to the point where we were finally talking to I think Dan DiDio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it got to the point where we got to him and he was in charge of the action cartoons at the time yeah and um and it was as if 
the project had never existed. It just completely fell apart and died right there. No kidding. And that was like, that was the meeting that would have been like where we would have really started production after that meeting. And, you know, Sam registers there going, I don't know what happened. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I can't even imagine. And, uh, <clears throat> and even Dwayne like called me afterwards saying, I have never experienced anything like that before. <laughs> I thought, okay, I guess it's bad luck for me. <laughs> but no, it was, it was uh, pretty amazing uh, working, working with, with uh, Dwayne for at least that, you know, eight month, 10 month period of time. Uh, I bet. I feel like, oh my gosh, I feel like we could do like a whole day of content. Just be like, all right, what other shows have you seen fall apart like that? Cause I feel like people don't recognize how often that happens. Just that one. But that was the biggest, uh, I think that was the biggest person I'd ever been put with. Yeah. Um, That's still so cool though. And gotta be an honor to at least be in the room for that, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I never got to meet him like face to face, but we just, talked on the phone all the time. That's so cool. Um, the most DC character I wrote for was I, I did a, uh, an issue of Superman Adventure comics. And it was based on the cartoon. And I, I had this Superman encyclopedia from when I was a kid. Yeah. And I brought back these two characters from the 40s. I can't remember who they were. I can't remember their names, but they were kind of like an Abbott and Costello. Oh, okay, yeah. Type of, uh, and and the way they were drawn back then, it, it looked like Robert Clampett had okay. had, had drawn them. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, and uh, <laughs> so they were just this magician duo, and um, basically, this miraculous stuff they did just happened by circumstance of being where they were and so my whole story was it was a two-parter it was all like first shown from the audience perspective of watching their magic show yeah and so they they're doing all these amazing pulling flowers out of thin air and doing all this amazing magician work and stuff and then i did a second version that's told from the the uh perspective of superman who is fighting the uh, parasite. Yeah. So everything that is going on is just a pure coincidence with their <laughs> magic show. So, uh, you know, when they pull flowers out of thin air, it just happens that a flower cart had been pulled up by <laughs> the, the parasite and flowers had fallen out and he just actually, actually just kind of happened to catch them at this at the, the perfect right time. I love like it. That. So uh, it was all cause and effect. Um, so that's that was my little uh, Superman adventures. Story. Oh, that's so cool. Um, I didn't even realize. I love it. But like full Rashomon on it. Like, let's get all the perspectives. And then I wrote I wrote uh, a story in both of the the uh, Bizarro comics. Oh, yeah. Where they had independent writers and independent artists come together and do stories. The, the first one, the Bizarro a uh, collection that had uh, Matt Groening had uh, drew a picture of Bizarro blowing through a bubble pipe on the cover. That one I did an Aquaman story. <laughs> it's basically told the pers- from the perspective of a uh, Fisher Price little people person. 
in a four-year-old's bathtub. And so <laughs> every single character is held by these tiny hands going, I'm going to get you, blah, blah, blah. And, and then the, the sequel to that uh, collection, like Bizarro 2 or something like that, it's all like one collection digitally now on... Uh, on uh, comicsology or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but the other one I did was I always had this trying to pitch this story of it was like an amalgam of of uh, Rankin Bass's Santa Claus is coming to town okay. with the uh, origin of Superman, and so uh, but I only had six pages. Okay. So I wrote it as if. It was twas the night before Christmas, so I wrote it all as a poem. Um, so, yeah. Oh, I got to check that out. That sounds awesome. Yeah, uh, Cal El uh, crash lands in the North Pole. He's found <laughs> by elves. He's raised by the Kringle family, and that's why he's so good and nice. And um, he's able to go to every house uh, at Christmas time because you know he's Superman. Um, that makes sense. So yeah, it fixes all the Christmas lore that we didn't know. <laughs> I I didn't. What I really wanted to do is if I would have had a longer amount of time to tell the story, I would have introduced uh, Luthor as you know, uh, uh, Burger Meister, Meister, Meister Burger, and uh, <laughs> also, also yeah, that. Um, but. Um, um, now I want yeah. this as a stop motion story. Like I want this full rank and bass style. I know. I know. Somebody needs to bring that back in a big way. I think they've tried and they've tried to do uh, sequels to year without a Santa Claus and stuff and make it look like stop motion. And it just yeah. hasn't worked because I don't know the, the, they've made it, they made it too kitty. I think. Yeah. Um, there's this, every so often I get lost in nostalgia in those eras. I always think back to how different, because I feel like these days when we do kind of like years later sequels, like the the landscape of media has changed a lot, obviously, right? And to me, there's like less intent. Like I find this is so nerdy. I can't believe I'm admitting this in public, but I will, when I'm trying to get into the holiday spirit, for example, I will dive into old commercials that aired in like the 70s, 80s, stuff that I saw when I was a little kid, right? And even looking at, Obvious advertisements, right? Like they definitely want you to buy their products versus how ads work now. Right. There's like, they felt like there was like a little more warmth or emotion or something. You know what I mean? Like, well, I don't you know. You would never see Santa sledding on a razor anymore. Right. Um, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's the only way he should travel. Norelco, what's up? But you, you know, know, like shows like Year Without a Santa Claus always, always drives me crazy once once I found this one flaw. Oh, I can't wait. And they could easily they could easily fix it with like a cutaway or something like that. But there's a point in the story where Mother Nature is telling Heat and uh Snow Miser to uh let it snow. You let it snow in Southtown, right. and you let there be a nice, hot, sunny day in the North Pole. She points at the wrong miser. She's oh. like, you let it snow in Southtown, 
and she's pointing at Snow Miser, and then she turns to Heat Miser and say, "You let it have be a nice sunny day in in the North Pole," and that drives me crazy. Oh, I think you just broke a year without a Santa Claus for me, and maybe all of us watching. And you'll you'll not be able to unsee it. Oh yeah, I can't even imagine. Oh, that's. So the one for me, I was like a Rudolph kid, right? And my my first attempt at doing voices was learning all of the voices in that show and then performing them. My mom will be so happy if she listens to this episode <laughs> that I'm admitting this publicly. But uh, yeah, loved that I would just do all of the characters. And it's like a running joke in the family still, you know, I'm in my late 30s now doing you know, <laughs> Lando and all that, you know, like go full you. I wonder UConn. if I could still do that to... I memorized Breakfast Club in college. Did you really? Mole really pumps my nads. <laughs> it's Moliere. Doo-dee-dee. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I can see quoting uh, Rudolph the entire show. It's, I'm sure, incredibly frustrating to watch it with me. <laughs> Except the part that they cut out at the end. Oh, with the peppermint mines? The peppermint mines. Also, did you memorize the song, uh, the Misfits song or the Fame and Fortune? So song? growing up, it was Fame and Fortune. And then when they restored it and whatever in the, the mid 90s, I was like, oh, we got another mi- a reprise of the Misfits tune, you know? The weird thing is that they made Fame and Fortune work edit wise. So yeah. once they went back to the original Misfits song, it didn't work animation wise yeah. anymore because they screwed it up in the editing. It's such a, it's a strange thing too. And it's that one, it's, you know, that's like one of those pieces of lost me. I'm sure if I just haven't Googled it well enough, but it is one of those things I think about every Christmas. I was like, whatever happened to fame and fortune? It's like, they never, it's never shows up on any of the re-releases. Of the, this whole episode now should just be about Rankin that's just, Bass. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I saw Mad Monster that, Party's getting a re-release. That seems like it's victim of some, uh, some, Network executive going, that's, you know, there's too much misfits. It's too depressing. Yeah. Well, and, and that, by the way, goes back to my original point about the the years later sequels, right? Where a lot of the modern stuff, to me, always misses that magic where I feel like the reason a lot of those old Rankin-Bass things worked is that it was clearly a creative endeavor by passionate people that I think maybe because the industry was so different back then, they didn't have as many, like, hands you know what i mean like cooks in the kitchen going no or can you add can we do a little more of this can we aim more at this yeah, quadrant can we make it happier can we yeah yeah whereas we i'm sure back there people to go no screw you yeah well and i guess there's that famous famous well, anecdote there, about all, well there's also uh the song have yourself merry little christmas yeah for years they cut out you know someday soon we'll have to meddle through somehow that line interesting was replaced by hang a shining star upon the highest bow um, huh. just to make the song less depressing. Right. Um, but you know, a lot of, a lot of people who record that song now put muddle through back in because <laughs> for entire time, yeah, right. <laughs> like, we're living through the end. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny that I, and now that I said that about Rudolph too, because they added the extra scene after the first airing where they go back for the misfit toys. That was like a, that was a year later. They added that whole scene and where the misfit toys are on the Island at the end and Santa shows up to save them. Right. Yeah. Cause like kids were writing in like, well, what happened to them? Yeah. I mean, but they still don't air the they still don't air the full version where yeah. 
you see that Rudolph's family, his father, is finally proud of him. Yep. And then you see what Yukon has been looking for the entire episode. Yeah. I remember and why he thinking. like licks the. <laughs> why is he licking that for gold? He's not looking for gold. He's looking for the peppermint. He's mine just been lying the whole time. At the I, very end of the show that you cut out. Yeah, conveniently at Santa's in Santa's backyard. <sighs> Andy, this has been an absolute pleasure today. I'm so glad you came down. I'm a wealth of. Sh- Stupid knowledge. Uh, I did want to ask. I mean, I know we talked about a couple things coming down the pipeline for you. Is there, is there anything uh, you're particularly excited about? Or is, um, is this where, can I plead to Dave Willis to bring you back in the Aqua Teen oh reboot God. that I keep hearing about? Yeah, it would be fun to do more uh, Aqua Teen, but that's that's up to them. Um, uh, I, I don't, you know. Anyway, uh, I just recorded yesterday for Disney's Kiff. Cool. Uh, that started about a month ago. Yeah. Um, it, the episode's already storyboarded, so I don't I don't know how soon that will um, be out. Just playing dumb songs on the ukulele and trying to stay relevant. Well, that was a wild ride. A little disjointed, right? We're all over the place. You get a couple of creative ADHD types in the room together and go, hey, you know, we both have dark hair and beards. We could be related now. <laughs> Andy, I really appreciate it, man. Anytime you're here, I'd love to take care of you guys. Sorry to miss you the last time you guys were in the store. Um, but it was an honor. I'm so thankful you came on here. So look, we got Andy. Next up, who we got to get? Uh, maybe Dave Willis, Dana Snyder, any of the D-named people at Adult Swim. Uh, and you know what? Let me give one more shout out. I want to give a shout out to my friend Ronnie, who runs the Dancing is Forbidden podcast. It's an Aqua Teen Hunger Force fan podcast. This all came together because Ronnie got me connected with Andy. He was like, hey, I'm pretty sure Andy Merrill's in your store right now. Uh, something along those lines. Anyway, Ronnie's been really cool. His show's great. If you love Aqua Teen, uh, Ronnie's become really tight with a lot of the people, like the aforementioned Dave Willis. Uh, and it's been really fun to see his show grow and the and just the excitement around what he's doing. And of course, it's really refreshing when you meet somebody like that that's having that kind of success and still thinks about other people. So truly, Ronnie, you're a great guy. I appreciate this connection. Thanks so much for providing me this cool opportunity uh, and all that good stuff. So if you like Aqua Teen, check out his show, Dancing is Forbidden. All right, I'm out of here for now. I've got some toys on the desk. I've got some fun stuff. Actually, here, I'll sneak this in. I made a candle and you all get to see me watch, you all get to watch me do that on the show soon. Stay tuned. There's so much fun. I've got that coming up. I've got the band Green Jello was here. Oh my gosh, that is taking me a while to edit because we were all absolutely unhinged, and I'm really excited about that. Bill Manspeaker, you're a total gem. Very excited about it. Uh, more toy content. Look, I got Beavis a butthead on the table. It's a good week. Anyway, on that, thank you all so much for lo- tuning in, <laughs> looting in, listening, and tuning in. That's right. Uh, I really appreciate the sport. Thanks for everything. Thanks to WCPO for having me on this week on the show. Oh my gosh, there's like so many things. I appreciate to everybody who's been really supporting me lately. It's been very cool. Uh, and on that, I'm going to do some shopping. So I'll see you out there in the aisles. The Jungle Gyms podcast is recorded in the WJJI studio inside Jungle Gyms International Market in Fairfield, Ohio. The Jungle Gyms podcast is produced and hosted by Mark Borison.